You're listening to Back to the Light with J.D. Rieger, live from Gonerfest 18, Part 2. Hey everybody, welcome to yet another episode of Back to the Light. I am J.D. Rieger. This week's episode is the second of three recorded live on location, as they say, at Gonerfest 18 in Memphis. In this batch, you're going to hear me chatting with the legendary Reckless Eric, my friend, reigning sound bassist, and future Back to the Light recording artist Jeremy Scott, and still the owner of the recording studio Young Avenue Sound, Cameron Mann. So let's get to it. Let's head back to Gonerfest 18. Right, I'm I'm here. Yeah, I can hear you. Excellent. Well, I'm here with Reckless Eric. Thank you so much for taking time to speak to me. Oh well, that's all right. You know. Yeah, and you're wearing a Reckless Records T-shirt. I am. I used to work at Reckless Records in Chicago. Oh, I might have seen you at there. I might have actually seen you. I've actually played there. How long has it been? I don't think you played when I was there personally. I yeah, it's a few years since I played there. I haven't been there for about three years. Yeah. I know that you're a Gonerfest regular. What keeps bringing you back? Um, I suppose I, I must like the spirit of it, really. I do. I mean, like... And I, I particularly admire this because it's um, it's in the face of everything, and like it's almost like they've had to contravene the sort of woeful inadequacies of the Tennessee state <laughs> legislation or whatever on 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 you know COVID precaution and everything. So yeah. I mean, that's, it's incredible that they pulled this together, but and Zach and Eric are, are really, they're good people, you know. For sure. And, uh, you know, Memphis is... I could never have dreamed when I was a kid that I would come and play in Memphis. So... Were you a big fan of Sun Records and that kind of stuff? Yeah, and Stax Records. I was big on Stax Records. Oh, okay. Yeah, and of course, you know, the king of rock and roll and all the rest of it, you know, it's a, uh, it's a remarkable thing. And then there was Alex Chilton. And what's happening next? What's coming next in Memphis, do you know? It's probably here. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. Now, the guitar player in this band that's playing, he, uh, he dated my stepdaughter. Really? Yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good guy. That's a small world. It is. I mean, like, you're getting old when you meet, you know. Hey, remember me? I used to date your granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of an interesting time to be on tour in the United States. How has that been? It's a terrifying time to be on tour. And it's terrifying not because you might, you know, succumb to the virus or something. 
It's terrifying because there are more cars on the road than ever, and the people that are driving them are taking their fucking their, their ter- terrible anger out on 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 everybody else on the road. So you've got to be very careful. You know, there's people in trucks tailgating you. There's there's kind of angry mothers looking like sort of vicious seafood. You know, there's a whole host of awfulness. Well, I think everyone, the tension level for everyone is pretty high. So if you were an asshole before, it's amplified. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are. But at the same time, I think that it's brought other people together. And where I live in Catskill, New York, it's, it's like we... We have more community than ever. It's uh, it's very it's a caring community and it's closer than it was. And I'm I'm sure that's because of the COVID situation. Yeah, that feels true of Gonerfest, honestly, in this community here too. Yeah, it must be happening all over. I mean, this feels this feels great. It really does. It's sort of like I was quite I felt quite emotional when I finished when I finished playing. You know, today I was looking. It was at a this. great set. Well, I hope so. <laughs> my 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 main concern with these things is always to try and do it to the right time. Because I said, how long would you like me to play for? They said, can you do a half hour set in a short set? I'm going good. I think that's about the right length, you know. And then I'm going right. I think I've got half an hour. <laughs> I'm sure. Your last record came out in 2019, Transients. I really, it's a great record. Are you working on a follow-up? Well, yeah, I've been, I've been recording all, all the time. You know, during the pandemic, you, you know, I mean, what am I going to do? I just keep recording tracks. We have a studio. We record stuff, and then I start getting really weird and doing stuff with a porter studio and doing stuff in like other locations when I could and um, um, it's like there's so much stuff and I don't know what to put out I don't know what would make a good record because you can't just put like you know oh you need 12 tracks or something and that will make a great record it's like they have to go together you don't, you don't feel you've got to that the collection that fits quite together yet? I think I might have done, but I'm not sure that that's the record that I feel like I should put out right now. So I'm sort of like, you know, it's, it's nice that I, I could go out on a tour and have a rest from it all. Uh, I might come back with some sort of perspective or clarity. Do you try out this? Are you trying out new material on the road? I never do. Why is that? Well, you get these people. I, I suffer from the shopping bag brigade. There are they're, they're sort of middle-aged men with shopping bags full of records you made 40 years ago that they want uh, autographing. And quite often these people are there at four o'clock in the afternoon when you get there. And 
um, waiting outside and um, you sign all this crap for them. They ask you to play. Are you going to play this song? Are you going to play? Are you gonna, um, well, I don't think they do. Well, surely you're going to play this song. You know, I haven't played that song for 30 years, you know, and so on. And then, like, it gets to halfway through the set and you've forgotten about them and suddenly there's a commotion someone fights their way to the front and it's the shopping bag guy and he's just fought his way to the front to shake his fist at you before he leaves in disgust. <laughs> so now, the shopping bag people that stay, they're, often there's another version of the shopping bag guy where they've come and seen you at six shows and seen you, heard you doing the new song and then it comes out on the record and they go, I was disappointed with how you treated that, you know. You know, and, and it's like it becomes old news. Everything travels too quickly. Like comedians can't try out new material on a audience in the middle of nowhere. Because of YouTube, yeah. Yeah. So... My wife absolutely fell in love with this video of the guy from Dinosaur Jr., you know. um, Jay Maskus. Jay Maskus, yeah. Um, Because, like, she she found a video of him, like, singing to a Tom Petty Petty song. And she's a big Tom Petty, Petty fan. So she wrote a song called Tom Petty Karaoke. And, like, dressed up as this desperate, like, hillbilly, backwards woman and, like... From Gainesville. Yeah, that kind of thing. And, like, like you know, we did a video and, like, she drove this truck. Like, this, I've got this old truck that I used to sort of cart stuff about. So, and she drove that and went to a, a karaoke bar and it was all filmed. And, like, made this record and, it, yeah, it was great. And, like, but... Like a year later, I met someone I know in Los Angeles who is friends with Jay Maskus and said, well, she's a, like she places songs in films and she really wanted him to do a cover of this Tom Petty song and she said, I need a demo of it. And that's why he was singing it in the karaoke bar. It was to make a demo that he could send to her. So he said, OK, I've sung along with it in the karaoke bar. I'll put it on YouTube and, like, you can pick it up from there. And, and in the meantime, it went viral and it was global. So, you know, I mean, anything... I don't know. How, how did I miss this? Well, I mean, you're obviously not clued in yes. like, like I am. You clearly know? not. No, clearly not. Do you, grow, do you grow weary of the shopping bag folks asking you about 40-year-old songs, or do you feel honored that people still remember? Yeah, in part, yes. And, I mean, it is fantastic to realize that you, you have a, a career and a back catalogue and everything, but I don't own most of it, so I don't feel... You know, I don't feel the closeness that maybe I should. Um, I can understand that. Somehow, and it's like, I, I, I say, look, it's not going to bring you back to life. It's not going to make you, you know, you're not going to be a 26-year-old. You're not going to grow your hair back and lose 14 
pounds in weight and you're not going to you're not going to go back in time it's just going to be sad because some of that stuff when i wrote it it meant something to me people change and they evolve and their perspectives change and i sometimes think that it would be dishonest for me to do those songs now because I couldn't do them with really true conviction. So I try and do stuff that I'm, I'm, I have feel some conviction with, you know? Yeah. It's interesting that you would still feel conviction for Whole Wide World, I guess. Well, Whole Wide World is bigger than I am. It was the first song that I wrote that was any good. And it was, I mean, it was a struggle. Everyone said, it's only got two chords, that's not right. And it was like, it's got a time slip in the chorus, and that's not right. And they said, you know, it was like, it was a struggle to get anyone to listen to it. Like to, to, it was difficult to find a band that would play it until, like, you know, I played it for Nick Lowe, and he, he said... I know what to do with this. This is great. And I'm like, really? You know. you know, two chords, but what you do with those two chords in that song is very interesting. How the change, the chord change doesn't happen at the same time. Yeah. You know, it's not as predictable. It's, it's a great song. It holds up. Thank you. Sometimes it's because I forget to change the chord until I, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm a beat behind. <laughs> but I quite like that actually. I, I don't kind of cultivate this thing of changing the chord a beat later. It makes it stand out. It's an odd thing. Yeah. Before I let you go, you mentioned uh, your wife Amy. I just wanted to ask how she's doing. Is she working on anything? Yeah, she's got another book. Because she wrote that book, Girl to City, which was a book about moving to New York in the 70s. All right. And, uh, yeah, so she's writing another one about, like, you know, in the 90s she moved to Nashville and wanted to be, like, a country songwriter, you know. And it, it, I've lived in Nashville. I, I could imagine that was a frustrating experience. That was completely dumb, yeah. And I mean, like, she took me to Nashville once when we first met, and I went, what a dump, what did you want to live here for? This is terrible, this place. And then suddenly it changed. I've done two, my last two albums, I've, I mixed them in Nashville. Oh, really? Yeah, with Andrea Toki at the bomb shelter. I don't know that place, but it has been over 10 years since I've been anywhere near. It's completely different. I can imagine. I mean, all them sort of like people, like, you know, like you'd have all those kind of cars with like radiator grills and then like matching people. Hey. <laughs> you know, with this sort of like the Nashville perfect teeth kind of smile. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, they're all kind of like wondering what the fuck's going on. Do you think you two are going to do another record at some point? I expect we will. I'm, I've been recording songs with her for a new album of her. I mean, I produced her last solo record, and um, it seems I'm producing the new one, which I'm very happy about. That's 
Cool. Is that is that in progress or is that finished? Yeah, it's kind of like we did half of it and then we had all these other things that we had to do. You know, like sit around moaning about the pandemic or something. Sure. Yeah, and uh, yeah, when I get back, we have to do the other half of it. Well, I can't wait to hear it. I hope it goes well. I, th- I think it'll be all right. I mean, she's a fantastic songwriter. I agree. You know, it's like, uh, it's... I can't do that, you know. Um, she just goes away into a room and comes out with a song, and I come out with six ideas and say, right, okay, you play that, you play that, and then I'll sort of like kind of put it together and cut it up and go, it's sort of going to be like this now, and you know, and then play it to some people and they don't know what the hell it is and then like I have to sort of say can you play exactly what's on this tape and they go which part and I say well choose choose which part but exactly I just I just create confusion and disorder and out of that I try and make sense of it but Amy comes with something that makes sense and I take it to another place where it don't make sense and bring it back around to making sense. Do you think that there's elements of each other's songwriting style and approach that have rubbed off on each other over oh, the years? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, and she's much more of a guitar player than she was, you know, and, like, Amy's great at harmonies, like, I'm really weird vocal harmonies and... Yeah, I mean, right, we have a great time when we do when we do music together. We have a great time. Just do stuff that's odd. Well, I can't wait to hear the new stuff, and I sincerely appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, what's up? Hey, I can sort of. We roll. All right. I'm here with Jeremy Scott. You're doing double duty today. How was your DJ set? Oh, it was good. Uh, it's just a long day, you know, because we were here at um, 10 in the morning because soundcheck was 1030. Oh, right. I caught the very tail end of that. Yeah, it went on for a bit, you know. Anytime you have as many people as uh, as we do now, it's it's like the Flintstones kids. Remember that commercial, 10 million strong and growing? That's what it feels like right now, you know. When you guys got the OG lineup back together, would, I mean, could you have poss- foreseen it blossoming into this? Not quite. Um, it just was went from the four of us to then the four of us and Graham, and then and then we got John, and it was kind of like a bunch of jump steps, you know, to the point where now we got the strings. We got tonight we have Marcella Simeon with us, so nine total. So I remember there was a period of about nine months in about oh three oh four when we were a trio. And, and now we're like, you know, 75% of a jury. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't think I could have seen that, now. Are you guys going to tour like that? Um, I believe we're going to tour probably the six of us. Okay. So uh, that's the five plus... Plus John Woodmore, yeah. Okay, yeah. right, right. Yeah. When, so, is, when is that going to be? I, I guess you... Ha- you didn't have any dates canceled. You, your no, tour is scheduled for next it year. Is, it is scheduled for March um, in the U.S. And, and Europe to follow. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and the U.S. dates have been announced. I mean, that's if they'll – well, yeah, I mean, if, if things don't get appreciably worse, I guess we're doing it. 
Sure. Um, Europe, I guess it depends on which countries are going to let us in by next summer. You know, and that's that's not a given. <laughs> Could you get in right now if you wanted to go? I don't even well, know, I know what France, the situation. France, they're not letting Americans in. Okay, I don't even know what the situation is because yeah. You know, yeah. Well, they know how we're conducting ourselves or, or not. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're very aware. So I think that's why that went into effect. Well, if they saw Gonerfest, they might change their mind. You'd it's hope. reasonably safe around here. It feels safe to me. I feel okay. Yeah. I feel okay with it. But the, everybody, most everybody's mask, that helps. Yeah, it does. And, every, and everybody's required to show uh, proof of vaccination, which is really, really good. Um, and that, I mean, nothing's 100% fail safe you know that that's the thing if you're waiting for that moment where it's going to be 100 percent safe it's it's not going to be but yeah. it really cuts down the risk considerably it maybe never was yeah yeah oh i'm sure not you know yeah there's a lot of things you know sars or whatever that we totally slept on yeah but we don't have to get bogged down in that. Oh, that's all right. Tell me how uh, excited you are. I know you got your test pressing for your solo record. Uh, yes, yes, working on some, like, anomaly on one song. Uh, oh, so, yeah, you told me yeah, about that. Yeah, so maybe maybe get another test pressing and check that out. But otherwise, um, feel pretty good about it. Yeah. And who's playing with You've got a solo band. Who's playing with you in that? It is uh, me and Graham Burks, who I did the record with, and Mitchell Manley playing bass. Graham's playing drums. Mitchell's playing bass, and Noel Clark is playing guitar, too. Because I we tried doing a few shows as a trio, and I think I realized that my comfort level would be better uh, if we had another guitar player in. And uh, so I, I think that's a good way to go because too many more people than that you know to me it gets it, it's like herding cats or something yeah you know? i was just talking to the subteens about this two guitars really feels right yeah it really does if you want keys on top of that you can do keys and whatever but uh or two maraca players right two more yeah you need yeah <laughs> bring it to two jeromes yes <laughs> No, that was great. Quintron did that last night. That, that was the reference. I know. That's what I was. Oh, that was awesome. Yes. I mean, I think there was one song on the on the record that Graham and I did where he was like, I think he told me he put three Maraca tracks on or three three Shaker tracks. So, kind of crazy. He's the Noel Gallagher of Shaker tracks. He sure is. <laughs> He's layering them. God, man, yeah. But uh, you and then what, once you know that though. You hear it, and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. And you hear one of them kind of drop out or whatever, you know. And it, I'll it have to good. listen for that now that you say that. Yeah. Well, what else is going on, man? Is toy trucks up to anything? Um, we've been pretty quiet, uh, basically, because we haven't. We did some recording earlier this year, and we don't have any shows booked right now, but I think that'll, that'll change soon. The plan is to go and record some more, like another full length next year is really what I want to do. Um, we put that EP out on Spotify because I would have loved to have a 45, but uh, right now doing 45s is pretty cost prohibitive. Uh, and yeah, if you're going to spend that much, you may as well make you a record. You might as well just go all in and, and do it and just do a whole record. So, you know, so if we had just done the three songs and maybe gone back in and, and, and done like a Bob Seger medley, you know, then that, sure. that would have gotten us real close. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Uh, of course, I want to dig into your solo record and some point in the future, yeah. but let, we don't have to. We don't have to blow it we necessarily can, yet. No, yeah, we can pace ourselves, yeah. which is what I'm trying to do today with beer. I mean, geez. 
being out here for over 12 hours in the sun, it's like water city, you know? Yeah. Stay hydrated. Yeah, I, I, I don't miss the uh, festival um, balance of the buzz and the oh. hydration. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I, I bet you don't. I don't miss it at all. No, it's, yeah, it's, it sounds more appealing every year, doesn't it? <laughs> Especially at my advanced age, you know? I'm, I'm right there behind you. No yeah. worries. Uh, well, cool, man. Thanks for stopping by. No, thanks for having me. Yeah. Time out. Before we get back to Back to the Light live from GonerFest 18, I must remind you that backtothelight.net is your source for excellent podcasts, including this one, and a bunch of great music, including my own. That's backtothelight.net. Also, to support me and get ad-free versions of this podcast, visit patreon.com slash jdrieger. Thank you very much. Ah, the safe space of headphones. I, I feel held by the headphones. I can actually, yeah, thank you. So how's it been going, man? How's life in the private sector? Ah, the private sector, the private sector, the public sector, <clears throat> life goes on regardless. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've known you, I, I think, in... Um, both incarnations, private and public. Uh, <laughs> currently, uh, yeah, but you're right. My day job at Methodist of Honor is good. I was going to, I don't even know, last I spoke to you, I think you were still at uh, Shelby Farms, maybe? Yeah, uh, I was at Shelby Farms for a few years during the capital campaign. I did a brief stint for a real estate investment trust. I've got a lot to say about that, but I don't want to bore you to tears. Uh, and went right back into nonprofit work, uh, which is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I, I work for the philanthropic arm of Methodist Hospital, and I raise funds around uh, clinical areas of need and community health, which in Memphis there's tremendous need, so our work is never done. So I'm really lucky to do what I do. And then I still, of course, own Young Avenue Sound, uh, and that's... Uh, I guess, like, I, I commonly say that I do that on the weekends, but that's also not really entirely true. I'm there for, like, a couple of hours doing little things because um, the studio kind of runs itself at this point. Is it good for you to keep, like, a foot in the music game? Do you Is it important for you to do that? It is so funny that you ask that question and that, that we reconvene after all these years, J.D., because the... The studio story for me has been just an interesting journey. That's that's the shortest summary I can come up with. If you had talked to me uh, three weeks ago, the conversation that we would be having is that uh, that I've sold Young Avenue Sound, that we had a going away party. And I gave a, a tearful speech on the microphone with all of our engineer friends and musicians, and everybody came out for it. And then the following week, I found out that our buyer for the studio died of COVID the oh my week gosh. that we were supposed to close on the sale of the studio. So just like that, I'm right back in the studio business after unwinding that business for the last five months since may i'm speak I, I had no idea any i didn't know you were looking to sell it or had sold it or anything that's so wow yeah it's it 
It actually was not like it wasn't for sale. Um, the short story is after my dad passed away, as you know, I kind of jumped back into the business and um, was able to, after some deferred maintenance and putting a new roof on the place and getting Chris Jackson from Ardent to recap the Neve and various other things, got it back to ship shape. And I've got tenants and two-thirds of the square footage, but then still operate Studio A as a studio with the help of three super fantastic, amazing humans, Blair Davis, Calvin Lauber, who's on tour with Julian Baker right now, and Matt Qualls. Uh, and I, I, I have, uh, I can't say enough good things about those guys and my gratitude for them and kind of helping me resurrect that place from a dormant state in 2014. Uh, anyway, I, I'm blathering on, but out of nowhere, uh, so so we all kind of like got everything rolling, and it's been kind of on autopilot, but not just autopilot, like actually making great records, like Julian Baker's most recent record, and um, some goner bands like Hash Redactor, Matt Qualls did there, and all of a sudden we're no longer a hip-hop studio and we're doing nothing but rock and roll. So it was like a kind of a weird Phoenix from the Ashes reinvention of that place. And But to complete your question, out of nowhere in April, Tommy Peters, the owner of BB Kings and Lafayette's, made me an offer on the building, the equipment, the whole kit and caboodle, and it was the proverbial offer that I couldn't refuse and didn't refuse, and Tommy Peters was going to buy Young Avenue Sound. Oh my gosh. You know, what's crazy is that Jennifer, my wife, Jennifer knew Tommy Peters, trained him in Pilates for like a while when she was a Pilates instructor. Wow. And so they knew each other pretty well, like she was his trainer. Okay. And then... I would not have guessed that he was a practitioner, but that's interesting. <laughs> well, Jennifer's not really anymore, uh, although she's hoping to get back into it soon. Uh, she just had back surgery. But when the news of Tommy's death broke, you know, she was pretty floored by it because, you know, they saw each other. You know, they had a weekly standing appointment for months, if not years. Wow. Yeah. Who knew? It was extremely sudden. Um... I mean, kind of towards the end of the illness is when uh, I learned that he was sick. And then one day, you know, I, we got the phone call that, um, that, that he didn't make it. Uh, and it was just sad and sudden. And his, his wife was ill, too. And I, I don't there were rumors. I don't know if she has passed, but she was on a ventilator. And I, I hope that she's pulled through. But. Anyway, this all happened in the last 30 days. Like, this is, like, wow. very fresh. Um, I feel like so. I said wow a whole bunch of times. How were you feeling when you thought you were letting it go? I mean, were you feeling relief? Were you feeling bittersweet about it? I, all of that. Uh, I was feeling all of the emotions because it's been in my life for 20 years. As you know, it was a business that my father and I started together. Uh, both of us lovers of music both of us lovers of memphis music um and uh definitely a bit of a roller coaster with maybe more valleys than peaks it's been a challenging business uh but nonetheless it's been in my life for 20 years and so there's a lot tied up in that and of course dad passed away in 2014 um and 
you know, of course, I, I had left in 2008 to join uh, the Memphis Music Foundation, which I actually knew you before that, but we worked together there. Indeed, we did. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Many stories. Um, but, uh, and all that to say that, you know, I, 2008 was the beginning of my nonprofit career, and in 2014, six being you know six or seven years out of the studio business i had to jump back in it um uh and move into my deceased father's office with all of his books and things so yeah there's there's a lot tied up in it for me emotionally spiritually uh formatively as an adult and through the last few months, I, I would say that I felt just about every emotion. Uh, bittersweet is the best way to put it. I just can't even imagine what it would feel like to, you know, come to terms with letting it go and then just have it dropped back in your lap. Yeah, uh, surreal. That's the best adjective I can come up with for that. Um, it, the Tommy's interest in the studio was also unusual because, and this is some backstory and really bizarre Memphis music history, but my dad was friends with Tommy Peters and was one of um, his first investors in B.B. King's Blues Club in like 91, whenever that opened during the resurgence of Beale Street. And then he stayed with Tommy uh, to be an investor in Cadre, which people forget that before Cadre was an event rental venue, it was a record label, Cadre Entertainment. And they hired Norbert Putnam, uh, famed Nashville producer known uh, for the likes of Reba McIntyre, uh, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. And Dan, Dan Fogelberg, sure, very Nashvillian, uh, and I think Riders on the Purple Sage—that's the cherry on top. Uh, that's the cool one. <laughs> yeah, they 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 brought Norbert in. This was a very quintessential Memphis story. Let's get the famous Nashville producer who actually Norbert had some Memphis chops because he was connected to Chips Moment. Let's bring in the famed Nashville producer to help us resurrect Memphis's great musical legacy, right? We've tried this about 20 or 30 times now over the last three decades. Sure. And they, they did try. I still have the T-shirt. <laughs> right. There are many T-shirts. Which one? Uh, so they tried. There was a recording studio inside Cadre. Um, and uh, for about a year and a half... They put out, I say records, they put out a few CDs on Dobie Gray, Eddie Floyd. Um, uh, That's cool. Yeah, they, they were kind of like, let's go back to some of these legacy sax artists and do some back catalog stuff, but also uh, let them do some of their newer things. And anyway, uh, Ruby Wilson and... Now I can't remember. There were two or three others. They also actually did a record on CYC, Elliot Ives' old band. If you remember them from oh, the Oh, yes, 90s. I remember CYC. Yeah. Sure, sure. Anyway, uh, after about 18 months and a couple of million dollars spent and some boxes of CDs that were waiting to be sold, uh, that venture fizzled out, and the investors in that venture were like, we don't want to be in the music business anymore, except for one whose name was Don Mann. And he was like, wait a minute, I'm not done yet. 
Uh, I don't know why we're shutting this thing down, but I'm going to buy this equipment and find a building and try to do this myself. And that was how Young Avenue Sound was born, out of Tommy Peters' original vision for Cadre. And so strangely, 20 years later, Tommy Peters comes to the table, wants to buy his equipment back and the building to do his own thing. How, I don't know whether to call that Memphis or weird or Memphis weird, but it's unusual. Yeah, was that, was that part of why it felt right to you? Because it was originally part of, the, he was originally part of the story? It, honestly, the, the thing that felt most right to me was just the fact that he wasn't a developer that wanted to knock the building down and put condos there because yeah. nine out of ten buyers, that's what they would want to do. And right off the bat, he was like, I love this building. I love Memphis music. We're going to keep the studio. We're going to keep this thing going. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that obviously spoke to me. Um, I have sentimental attachment, of course, to that place. There's a lot of memories. I, I made my records there back when I was an avant-garde performance artist. Back when you donned the wig. Back when I wore ladies' stockings and eyeliner. A band you worked with back in the day is actually a band I'm working with now, the Subteens. Yeah. yeah, what, do yeah. You, what do you remember about making that Subteens record? Well, honestly, we were incredibly honored that the subteens would record with us because, well, first of all, I had Burn Your Cardigan and I was a fan, so that's first and foremost. Secondly, at that time, I would say that we were lacking in the street cred department, um, and, and and you were hoping the subteens would bring that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, sub, the subteens had street cred, and uh, I'm just kidding. I'm it, just kidding. In spades, um, heartbreaking Mark Aiken, uh, money taken, <laughs> and. And it was funny because we, you know, at that time our engineer was the Nashville guy, um, well, Norbert's uh, guy, a guy named Willie Pavere, and suffice it to say that he brought uh, a very professional Nashville approach to how things are done in the studio, and let's just say that maybe that wasn't the best fit for that particular band. However, I could I could sort of see how that might be the case having just recorded with them last weekend. However, we did do we we, fin- we completed a record and there are a couple of songs on that record that I like a lot, but it was like, yeah, I think I think it challenged them a little bit and stretched them in a different direction and uh, I became acquainted with Mark Aiken at that time and uh, and uh, got to know him really well during that record and then reconnected with him many years later a whole brand new mark aiken small business owner of you know one of the best gyms in memphis and kind of an inspirational guy for me and for many other people if you follow him on any of his social media and i do um i'm i'm i've got a lot of love for mark aiken i'm i'm very impressed with his journey so you know, when I think about, I like that record, that second Subteens record. It's a good record, but I really think if if they had done it as a four-piece with Jay on bass and Terrence on second guitar, that was the money lineup, no pun intended, T-Money, 
um, that was the best sub teams lineup in my memory. Yeah, and yeah. I think you just missed that by like a couple of months. Right. Right. Yeah. I think it would have made Damn all it. the difference. Damn it. We could have been on the map. <laughs> we uh, could have made it. Look, we got our street cred. You know, I'm happy with that. <laughs> so what? So what's next for the studio? Now you're just running it. You're you're preserving the legacy. You're back in the game. Uh, unknown. Um, what's that? Somebody sent me a GIF. Actually, I think John Miller sent me a GIF of uh, what is that Pacino movie like? I thought I was out, and they pulled me right back in. It's The Godfather. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, look, Pacino's been in a lot of movies where that could have been a line. I just didn't remember it was that one. Anyway. Um, what was the football movie? He was <laughs> it where he's the football coach? Could have been that one. <laughs> Your listeners can't see this right now, but I am flicking you off. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. It was like with a snap of the fingers, like... I woke up that morning thinking that I was selling the studio, and just like that, I'm right back in it. So to answer your question, uh, I don't know what the future brings. Um, you know, we winding down that business, we lost a couple of the tenants that were upstairs. Um, however, people people love the space up there, so there are actually like some new potential tenants in line already, which I'm excited about. Um, and. Uh, Matt Qualls, unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately, unfortunately, I'm happy for him. He moved in with Doug Easley at the recording studio on Park, and he's doing great down there. I miss him terribly. He was one of our tenants upstairs and just a great producer and engineer. Uh, and Calvin Lauber is currently on tour with Julian Baker, so he'll get home in a few months and um, hopefully will continue to record with us. Uh, but, you know, I think is also an in-demand guy and will probably record in a number of studios. But in the meantime, Blair Davis uh, is our studio manager. And actually, we've had uh, a few of the goner bands that are in town um, just rehearsing uh, today and tomorrow. So I'm glad that they, they discovered us and they're, they're using us to get ready for their shows. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's going to be business as usual, um, although there, there is still, uh, I would say we're a little bit in the rebuilding phase of just kind of, like, getting things back going again. But thankfully, the studio didn't go anywhere. I didn't move any of the gear out, so that's there. It's kind of more just letting people know we're still here, we're still recording bands, and uh, we're doing our thing. It's an interesting time for Memphis recording studios right now. There's a lot of options on the table. High Low has a fairly new spot, and the new spot just opened or is opening in Crosstown. Yeah, the Matt Ross Bang place. Yep. Yeah. A lot of competition, man. There, there's no shortage of uh, amazing studios in Memphis, uh, and they just keep building them. It's kind of like uncanny. It's like wow, every few months you hear about a new one. Uh, but at the same time. Um, that hasn't really changed like you know there's there's always somebody building a new studio so i don't i don't necessarily think that uh that someone building a new studio is is gonna hurt our business i i'm choosing to believe that a rising tide lifts all boats because i think that you bring people like matt ross spang and scott McEwen from memphis magnetic 
bring national clientele to Memphis, and it, it kind of turns the attention to this city. Um, and uh, frankly, I've been kind of pleasantly surprised at um, uh, some of the new bit, new bands that have been recording with us. And again, credit to Matt Qualls, Calvin Lauber, and Blair Davis. Like they're. I'm an old guy now, JD. This is a young man's game, and these guys, you know, they're they're a little younger than me. Uh, I think I guess Matt's maybe the oldest, mid 30s, uh, but Blair and Calvin, you know, being in their late 20s, um, are just frankly tapped into a whole new, different generation of bands um, that that they all know, and that you know they're playing in some of these bands, and they kind of have their own networks, and we've been. Uh, recording that generation so like I've found myself telling people God bless millennials and Gen Z because like that's that's our clientele right now is like young rock bands and singer songwriters yeah it seems like everyone my age has figured out that you can do it on your own right yeah I mean the the, the guys that are that are our age are a little bit older you know most people either have their own home studio or uh, you know they're they're connected like deeply to uh, a, a Boo Mitchell or you know a Jeff Powell or uh, you know someone else in town that's got a spot right. You kind of have your studio loyalties, but um, yeah, it's to answer your question, it's it's always a challenging business operating uh, a studio, especially like a big one like mine, which many people consider like dinosaurs at, at, at this point compared to, you know, kind of like the smaller um, rooms that you see people having where, you know, you don't need a large format console anymore. It's cool to have, but it's like definitely not a need to have. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I've always said that it's all about the, the people. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to have cool gear and everything, but people record with people. So that's, like, the absolute most important key ingredient to having a successful studio is having good people. Well, I certainly... Think you're good people, Cam, and wish you the best with the studio, man. Man, I appreciate it, JD. I'm glad I, I ran into you. Uh, I don't think either of us knew we were going to have this conversation tonight, but I'm glad to have it. No, it was uh, unexpected, but uh, it was a nice surprise. Yeah, definitely. And, and welcome back to Memphis. Uh, I, I know you love Chicago, but uh, Memphis loves to have you home whenever you come back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just in town for the weekend, but I'll be back working with the subteams in like two weeks. Right, right on. Uh, uh, y'all are doing it at Graham Burke's place and then at another place, right? Well, we did it a little bit at a studio in Chicago. Yeah. They were in town like two weeks ago or a week maybe. Yeah. Awesome. I'll look forward to hearing it. Yeah. I'll send you a copy. I, I will look forward to that. Thanks, Cameron. All right. Thanks, J.D. Thanks for having me. Yeah. That's the show. Thank you to Reckless Eric, Jeremy Scott, and Cameron Mann. Thank you to my on-site engineer, Eric Wilson. Thank you to Goner Records for letting us do this, and thank you for listening. For music, news, and episode archives, visit backtothelight.net, and until next time, take care, y'all.
part of the Back to the Light podcast network at backtothelight.net.